Why is memory so meaningful to you? It's because, I mean, if you have something to reflect back on, like the memories of my childhood and the sadness, you have sad memories, but you can find some joy in the sadness because, I mean, like when I sing to my mom, I get joy out of She's been gone a long time. But I look at her picture and I can just, you know, that memory, because she used to possess my phone. Get it, honey. She used to sit on the couch when I would be playing. She would lay her head back and she would say, play it, baby. She loved to hear me sing and play. So I still sing to her. That's what memory does for me. I always got to hear. And I don't celebrate Memorial Day and the fact of going and decorating graves and blah, 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 this, all of that. You can't give them the flowers while they're living. Why are you wasting your money now? You know, because some people cannot find their families. I mean, their loved ones. They're buried here, there, or wherever, you know. And uh, so I think it's commercialized. Yes, love? Excuse me a minute. Jofina, you want to call her back down? Out Here is a folklore series determined to bring America together. It's a love letter to people whose voices deserve to be heard. All of those are my church sisters that are calling. Hey, how you doing? Probably seeing if I'm going to church this evening. Oh, have you? You're not sick, are you? Well, I can tell you don't want to talk too much about love. <laughs> <laughs> love is a Good old piece of hot cornbread, some pinto beans, some fried potatoes and onions, and a big old piece of chicken. And a good old cold Budweiser. I'm good to go. <laughs> ah, I'd preach one minute and got a Budweiser the next. <laughs> <laughs> and they can say amen, because Jesus amen. turned water into wine. He didn't say grape juice. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so that's what love looks like to you. Well, that's my eating part. Mm -hmm. Now, love looks like that sitting over there. That's my love right there. Flexing his muscle. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Say we're watching TV. I'm in my big chair. He's on the couch. We're watching something. He'll say, we're going to bed any time tonight. <laughs> so now, if I get up, and say, honey, I'm going to lay down. This is before he masked. I'm going to lay down. He said, okay. Well, I'm thinking he's watching TV. And five minutes later, he's shutting the door and closing up. So we're like, got to be proximity of each other. That's what let me say, closeness. Because I've been in love with him since I was 15 and a half. So that's a pretty good long time. My children come from that love and him bringing my coffee to my dressing table every Sunday morning without even thinking about it. If I get up getting ready to go to church, the next thing I know he's sitting my cup beside me. Who? While I'm putting my makeup on. Who? My husband. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Sounds like a loving relationship. Yeah, well, we've had our ups and downs. I slapped him a couple of times. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> loving is she, living. She's here, you gonna be home a while. Tell her I'll call her back. She's going to call you back after she finished. Okay, all right. Bye-bye. Probably checking to see if I'm going to church to see. But like I say, love is living. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're really not living if you're not loving. Love is living. Absolutely. And the first one you got to love is that one that you look at first thing in the morning, and that's yourself. 
Because beyond that, if you can't love this, everything else is not, not going to fall in place. So you got to love who you are. No matter how it looks, you know, you may think you the worst off. You can always find somebody worse off than you. I mean, it's just loving yourself and whatever capacity God has you in, you get to love that. You can love your way through anything. You can love your way through hate. Because he say, you know, pray for those that despitefully misuse you. You can't do that. You know, you'd be a most miserable, angry person walking around. So that's what we have to do. We have to love life to live. Mm -hmm. That's what love is. And God is love. Thanks for sharing that. Can you describe the feeling of home gives you and what it means to you? Mm, love, comfort, friendship, fellowship, you know, all of those things. West Virginia is just home. I wouldn't live anywhere else, to be real frank. My children all tried to get us to come to North Carolina, but I don't know. It's, I think a lot of our friends that left, they always said that they wished they hadn't, but there was just nothing here to make a living in doing. And they always want to come back home, regardless of what event's going on. This is home. Mm -hmm. Every year takes its number in death. And we were just notified yesterday of a couple of our friends that passed in this year. We have a memorial. And every year, you know, our group gets shorter and shorter because everybody's old now, you know. So where there used to be in attending a number of in the hundreds, now it's maybe a hundred or so, but they always want to get together. Mm. They're friends for life, mm -hmm. you know, it's just that. I wouldn't want to uproot and go anywhere else. When I say that, I mean even in this community, there isn't another place within X amount of mile radius in Logan that I would want to live other than right here in Omar. Even if I was offered the mansion down Logan, I wouldn't want to move down Logan because this is where my roots are and this is the part of West Virginia that I love is Omar. There are so few of us left now, but still yet we check on each other. You know, if you're concerned, you call your neighbor. If you haven't seen or heard them, which there aren't that many, when I say many, blacks yet. My neighbor across the street is white and we've been knowing each other for years. I see him every once in a while. Howdy, neighbor. Hey, neighbor. You know, but the community is not like it used to be, but it's still community. Because mm -hmm. right now there are only five families living here on the boardwalk now. And so it's still a community, you know, as far as I'm concerned. It's not like it used to be, but community is watching out for each other, you know because I know if someone comes over here that James figures shouldn't be here, he's going to be a little concerned, likewise, because we're the only two here, us two families, and I think his wife has very bad eyesight. So if I think I see something strange, I'll let them know. Mm -hmm. you know? And what are the roots? The roots are what? Do they sustain you? Do they keep you? Do they... Yeah, the memories and the safety. I know that danger is all around. Nothing's changed us, even in this little town, you know, crime and all of that. But I feel safe mm -hmm. as far as that's concerned. So I think that that plays a big part in it. I wouldn't want anybody to try to engage us because we bad now. 
I'm just saying we old, but we all right. <laughs> you don't want somebody to roll up don't, on you? Don't roll in here now. <laughs> Come in here straight if you want to leave. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, I'm scared. <laughs> Um, play. We can't fight. I don't want no big bulldog either. Mm -mm. I got some sisters to help me. I don't mean real sisters. I'm just saying. What you talking about? Mm -mm. What's your sister's name? I said one, two, three, four, five, and six. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny. Uh, kind of describe who you are, your name, your age, and what you currently do. Cora L. Harrison. I am 76 years old. I will be 77 in August. I'm retired. I was a 30-year employee at Logan General Hospital where I was radiology coordinator, and I retired in 97. I graduated from high school and college, went to Chicago for a few years, came back, married the love of my life, we have children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. I am quite active. I try to stay active since I retired. I was the owner of a nail salon and ladies' boutique. And, well, I'm quite active in church and community. I like to write. I didn't know I liked to write as much until I wrote the two books that I've written. I'm trying on my third and fourth one as I speak. But I've written, though, about 20 to 25 gospel songs, poems and uh, sayings down through the years. And I've been doing portrayals of Rosa Parks for the last seven to eight years. I'll do a rendition of Rosa's Life, which I dearly love to do. It's a joy to do her. And other than that, I just try to stay busy without being a couch potato, taking care of the old guy over there <laughs> and uh, spoiling him. That's about it. Can you talk a little bit about your passion for writing, how it came about? Well, I think I've always had a passion for writing. It's just that I never thought I'd ever write a book. So the high school that my husband attended and graduated from, I went there for a few years before integration, was named Aracoma High School. And every year we still have an annual reunion. And at this particular time, the reunion was held in Columbus, Ohio, and us girls, quote unquote, <laughs> were reminiscing about our days in school. And one of them, we were making fun of some things that we had known that the grown folks didn't think we knew. So she spoke up and said, you know, somebody ought to write a book. I said, I'm going to do that. So when we came back home, I decided that I'd try. And I just did from there. But I've always liked to write. What are your books about? My first book is titled Faces Behind the Dust. And the dust is the coal dust. And it is the story of a coal miner's daughter on the black side. This little nosy five-and-a-half-year-old girl running the hollows of Krista Block or her little community. And she thinks she's got the skinny on eavesdropping, so she tells everybody's business in this book. And it's been quite a joy writing that book and the, the response that I've had from it. It's a must-read. And I also followed up with the sequel. The first book takes her from five and a half to 15 years old. 
and started the second one when she was 15 until graduation from school. A lot takes place in those three years from 15 to almost 18, because integration had happened, takes place back in the, I'd say, late 40s and 50s. And she's just got an interesting life as a coal miner's daughter. Mm. You know. Why did you choose that subject? Because I am a coal miner's daughter. Okay. I'm a coal miner's wife, sister, aunt. I mean, every male in my family at some time was a coal miner, including two of my brothers. So... There was just nothing else really for me to be really interested in writing besides the coal miners and up in the holler. My holler is about five miles from where we are presently. This is Omar. I was born in Crystal Block Holler. It's called Saran. And it's off the main highway and up at the holler, you know. Well, the hollers are actually communities, and as far back as you can go, there were about Four communities. Why I say four communities is because they were segregated. The first community was sort of, quote-unquote, the elite community of whites that were the superintendent of the mines and, you know, the upper class there, right off the main highway. There was the company store and the little post office and the doctor's office adjoining. On up in the hollow was the first white community, and past the white community it was the very last house was a boarding house. Then a little roadway before you got to the second community, which was the colored camp. And on up was another camp. So there were about four or five communities in the community where I lived. Okay. But everybody was poor, so we didn't know we were black, white, or purple. So it was just that way. And everybody associated it wasn't. Nobody knew anything about segregation and all of that stuff at that time. It wasn't an issue. So Really? wasn't an issue mm. at all. That we knew of, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't anything that was discussed. My mother worked for one of the bosses. Our children played together. Now, there was a distinction. You knew there was, but it just wasn't, what you say, a topic. So everybody got along. That sounds like unity. Yeah, it was. It was. Did you enjoy your childhood? Very much so, yeah. Those were the good old days. Yes. We were poor. Not poor. We were poor. But we didn't know it. We didn't know we didn't have, you know. And if someone didn't have, it was a shared thing. I mean, at at our house, whoever came to dinner, they ate. You know, if it was two or three more children, there was just two or three more plates set. It was either house you went to, it was like that. It used to be that everybody grew their food, you know. We had our hogs, we had our chickens. We had all of the vegetables that you could eat. We canned. As a young girl, I did nothing but watching my mother make a meal out of nothing, you know, practically. I mean, a delicious meal. And going up in the woods and picking the greens that they knew were the safe greens, like poke salad and creasy greens and things like that. Everything was fresh and good, and she could cook. And so food is a big staple of our community, especially in our church. You know, food is like a love that goes into the food. That's why it's called soul food. It's a black staple. Because if you go in the house first thing, are you hungry, baby? Mm-hmm. 
First thing you want to do is offer you something to eat or drink, especially if you're scared. Girl, you need some meat on your butt. They used to tell me that all the time when I was young. And, you know, it's that type of a, a village, mm -hmm. in other words. So I enjoyed my childhood greatly. Mm -hmm. You know, I missed the days of not seeing children outside playing now, you know, because that was our life, double dutch and hopscotch and playing marbles and jacks and school on the steps. You don't see anything like that anymore. I think it's the change of time, technology, and, you know, just different day, different times, mm -hmm. you know. But they don't know what they miss. They don't have the enjoyment to me when I see even my grandchildren, when they come. There's three of them sitting in here. Nobody's talking to each other. They're texting. <laughs> They're right across from each other. I don't think they get enough exercise. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. That's why old people die. That's why generations pass on. It's just like the horse and buggy days. What would they think about today? It's just like generations before them and generations before them. We pass off the scene so that things can change. And my age, well, I'm a little bit savvy, but I'm not that savvy and not that interested. You know, but you take the generation behind my children and my grandchildren. They are the ones that so technologically inclined to know it all, you know. We're not interested, so we won't be included. When I say that age category-wise, mm -hmm. we have our limitations. And so you get some people, they don't want a food or no computer or cell phones. My goodness, we went through all of these years, traveled everywhere without a cell phone. And now my children don't want us to leave out the door without the cell phone. I mean, so it's like, you know, it's taken over. And I think we may be gone off the scene, but you guys got something to face. Because I think that I don't know what technology is going to do for the future, but I think that there is something that's not going to be too good. Why do you say that? Because I think man's too smart, that he'll eventually destroy himself being so smart. And while they're at it, get out there and find a cure for cancer since you often do all of this. Put something to work that's going to help people instead of building machines and taking jobs by this robot. And this is what I'm saying, technology in, in the right form, use that to be for the people. It's the greed that's going to kill them or kill us. But what's coming behind us, you see it every day. Nobody wants it? to believe in global warming. Nobody wants to believe in this, that, and the other. Sooner or later, it will be shown. You didn't believe, so here it is. All you got to do is pick that book up and read. When I say that book, I'm talking about the Bible. Can you talk a little bit about your faith? Oh, wow. My faith is in the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I stand strong on my faith. I am a nine-year cancer survivor, so I know what he can do. So my faith is strong, and I don't know how anybody lives without it, you know, because if you wake up in the morning, you've been had the biggest blessing of your life. It would just open your eyes. They would be able to go about your daily life. So my faith is strong. I love to sing to him. I know he get tired of me singing sometimes, but I don't think he does. In my repertoire, I have about 25 songs that I wrote. In fact, in my book, there is one of my songs that I put the words to in one of the uh, chapters where the little girl's only friend died, mm -hmm. and she had left her this letter, which was a poem that was in a song, 
and the little girl's name is Clara B. Rose. So she told her to sing it the way she felt it. So, but I do my morning praise. I try to do it every morning. I try to do my daily meditation of reading some scripture. I don't get it done every day, but as often as I can. But I can hardly pass my piano without touching it. He gives me songs quite often. So right now he's given me one called He Said. And I'm trying to write it as scripture to make sure I get it down right. I won't be singing nothing this one. Because you can sing a lie as well as tell one, you know that. Mm. So <laughs> I'm trying to get it right. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite gospel song? Rough Side of the Mountain. It's one of my favorites. Ooh, can you sing that? Ah! Why you mean all shy? He used to play it for me. Now he won't play it for me anymore. He plays. He plays everything. In fact, he's the one started me out playing. Now I closed down every club in Logan. The reason I say that is when we were young, we had a uh, a band. Fred, where's that picture of me, you, and Bob? That big one. I see the carriage in there, but I didn't see the picture. We played in all of the little joints in Logan and all, you know, so. I think it was the guitar player quit. Fred was the organ player, and I was the singer, so. He put me on the organ, told me to hold middle C, and he took the guitar, and so we <laughs> kept our combo going. But I've always sang in church from childhood. Oh, now I only sing in church. I'm trying to get you to sing, and you just keep ignoring my question. <laughs> oh, God. Ah. Uh, <clears throat> I'll do you one. Do you mind if I play it? No. This is one that I was given to uh, put words to. It's called You Are My God.
so much for that. That was so beautiful. Thank you for that. I'm glad I could do it. Just thank God for it. And that's a blessing to wake up and be in your right mind so that you can have just that precious memories. Because without that good mind, you don't have mm. As a matter of fact, I've got a lot of friends who have dementia. Mm -hmm. It's like a robber coming and taking all, everything that you have. Your childhood and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's a blessing to wake up with good memory. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite memory concerning West Virginia? Oh, I can tell you, but my favorite memories back in the day of West Virginia would be the nightlife called the Chitlin Circuit. What year was this? Honey, would they have been around the 50s and 60s? I was a kid, but then I grew into it. There was this favorite place called Shantytown. And it was where everybody went, and it was just a jukebox, and oh, everybody had ball. It was the memories of that in West Virginia that everybody, I don't care where they'd gone off to live, they always wanted to come back home to West Virginia to go to Shantytown, and they'd bring their friends from New York. They tell everybody wherever they lived, New York, Chicago, wherever else. You haven't been anywhere until you go back to my hometown in West Virginia back in the day when it was people, you know. We had fun, just good fun. And those are my memories of West Virginia. Was just, there lots of dancing? Oh, my goodness, yes. What you talking about? Yes, especially on the weekends. It was just the living quarters for those people that had their little houses. Then there was one big house that was the dance hall. Was, hey, I don't care if the mud was up to your knees, you just had to be there. You had to get those shoes shined before you went, though. Oh, yeah, you had to be sharp. <laughs> Everybody had to be sharp. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing about the black pride is their dress, you know, and they may not have a nickel to the dime, but you couldn't tell it by looking at them because they were proud, you know. Heritage was a deep-rooted thing in 
I can remember my mother telling me, I don't care what you look at on the outside, you better have on some clean drawers and slip and thick, <laughs> excuse me, me underclothes. Mm -hmm. Because you might faint, you might fall out, you better be fresh. So that was a instilled pride that you were clean from your head to toe, no matter how poor you were. It may not have cost you much, and they made clothes, you know, but you were clean, you were immaculate. I remember we had our Sunday go to meeting shoes. You didn't wear them nowhere. But on Sunday, when you come home, you pulled off your school clothes and you put on your raggedy, you know, to play in. Then you had your certain stuff for Sunday. Cause Sunday, you put on your Sunday best. We all went to church. And that was, that's what I remember as a child that's so deep in me. You have any rituals? Would fashion be a ritual? Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, I never go to church, especially on Sunday, without a hat, which is something that, you know, has died as a black woman. I mean, you never left home without your hat on Sunday morning and your gloves. And most of the time, I'm the only one sitting up in church with a hat on. I darn my hats, and I may have about 100 or more. You wouldn't want to see my bedroom. I built shelves to go in. Hats and shoes, clothes. I'm a clothes freak. Not so much makeup. My now my daughter is a, is a fantastic makeup. You artist. have beautiful makeup on right now. Well, I did. I don't know why the doc said I got bad cataracts. I can't see. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do my makeup. My husband can tell you. At home, I'm at home, and I I sometimes look at myself and say, "Honey, do you still love me?" <laughs> Because <laughs> when I'm home, I'm home. Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When I go out, I try to at least be presentable, you mm -hmm. know. But Sundays are my day. Now, tomorrow, I will fashion out because I'm a king's child. I'm a princess. I'm a child of the king. So that makes me rich. I ain't got no money. <laughs> but I look like I got some. <laughs> look at me. Any other yeah. significant memories? Well, you know, there was a great tragedy that happened. I think there were 200 or more drowned when the dam bursted up, man. What? When did this happen? Mm, what year was that, honey? 60-something or 70-something? I forget, but that's the most memorable tragedy that I can think of. More than a dam busted just... It rained, 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 and this dam burst and just swept communities away. And it was early morning, and people, you know, were swept away. I think they found a baby alive in the tree, and, you know, just some bodies they never recovered. So that's just something, you know, that you can look that up probably in the archives of West Virginia. Then there was the Chesapeake Bridge that fell, took 40-some down with it. So there are some tragedies that have happened that I can remember. And that's about 15 miles from here. And then we had a tragic, about 30-some coal miners, about 10 years or more ago, to get killed in the mines. Mm. So there have been you know, a lot of things that have happened down through the years that saddens you. And it used to seem like after every Christmas, after every holiday, when the men went back to work in the mines after it had been down for a few days, somebody got killed, it seemed like. It was always a memory. 
So the mines has not been the safest place to work. Mm. He's suffering from injuries now from his days in the mine, you know. So it's a good place to work, good money, you know, for your job and all of that. But the repercussions down through the years, the after effects, black lung, silicosis, nobody thinks of that uh, when they're making that money. And the, the owners knew, but you know how that is. So your statistic, then you got to fight for your money if you get any. They fight you tooth and nail. But a many man has suffered from it, still suffer from it. I look at the young miners now who are doing it now, and you see them covered with dirt and how much of that is going into their lungs. But they're probably not even thinking about their future. All they're thinking about is that they make good money. Mm. Make good money, but what about your lungs later on? Mm-hmm. You know, hard lesson, you know, later on you can't get them back. But hopefully there'll be another industry that comes through here that will uh, help the community to survive. Because we're blessed. My husband's retired, you know, but you think of the ones coming up behind us. Mm -hmm. What would they have to look forward to? If it wasn't for Walmart, I don't know what we'd do. You know, where Logan is business-wise is limited. If it wasn't for the hospital, which I think is about the largest employer of people now, if it wasn't for that uh, hospital that has grown tremendously since I retired, but it is the biggest provider, plus Walmart, you know. So coal is never going to be like it ever was. So unless there is some type of other industry that comes in to help provide more jobs for our youth, our youth have no choice but to leave. I don't know what the future holds, but I pray they thrive in the future. Mm -hmm. That's true. We've been talking specifically about West Virginia and your childhood memories and your church community and how we gather, but I want to hear some of your thoughts about this country. Mm. I don't like politics, to be frank, but I think we're in a world of trouble right now. I don't know what the future is going to be if somebody don't get some sense, if they don't start working together, I think we're going to be our own detriment. I think we're going to uh, Rome fail, you know, praying that we won't be the Rome. I know we're a great country, but you know, gotta have some sense in running it. So I pray that the heads of our government stop thinking selfishly, greedily, egotistically and think of the people, stop dividing us and making a mockery of our country. We need to get, as the Bible says, if my people who call by our, you know, we need to arm ourselves and pray. We need to be doing some serious praying now because we're in a world of trouble. I think that we're somebody's, uh, when I say somebody who knows Russia, China, whoever, they're sort of like trying to bait us, and I think we're stupid. When I say we, I mean the heads of our governments. You know, I think we're letting too much get by and nobody's speaking up. And I think we're not looking at the big picture of what's around the being mm. and what may be facing us. And talking tough don't do it. When you think you're the biggest and baddest, is somebody bigger and badder than you? We just hope they don't 
flex their muscles too much. I, I know who's in control. I don't fear. I don't fear. It was so great to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time and inviting it, us into your home. I hope it helps you. Let me know. I gotta know what I did. I wanna know what my show go on. I will let you know. <laughs> Do you have any parting words for me? Well, be blessed in your endeavor for what you're trying to do. Wish you Godspeed. And uh, if you've got a dream that you're moving towards, let nothing stand in your way. Follow your heart, keep your faith, and go for it. And, you know, it's yours. You just have to put your best foot forward and go for it. Your dream, don't let nobody snatch it. Mm -hmm. Let nobody discourage you. Mm -hmm. People can be discouraging, so. Absolutely. Don't, don't let anything but discourage you. Can you fix my nail? Hmm? Can you fix my nail? Your nail? Mm -hmm. I don't have anything. I, girl, I go to the shop myself. I know. I, I, I failed <laughs> going down the steps the other day. Because, like I say, my glasses and whatever. I was going to a funeral. What? And they asked me to fix cabbage. So I had this great big old aluminum pan of Good old cabbage with ham hocks and stuff. Girl, them things were slamming. Mm. Went out, dressed to the nine. Looked down and over these glasses and missed the step. Oh, no. Me and the cabbage. Oh, Lord. The down whole, the steps. All the cabbage. And all the cabbage. At least you're okay. All over me. Oh, wow. Got my broke nails out of it. But I gave up doing nails years ago. You got to have good eyesight to do nails. Yeah, that's true. You got to have my lady's boutique. Mm hmm So... I sold hats and clothes and all that for a closed-up shop because business in Logan is bad. Mm. So, plus I was my best customer. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I was my only customer. <laughs> <laughs>